The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Studio with me right now, we've got Tim Cartmel, the uh, almost said MLA, not yet, uh, the uh, member of uh, the City Council for Ward 9, my ward. Tim, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, so we've had counselors in before, and typically I'll tell you right now how this goes. So I don't want you to take it personally at all. Okay. Uh, we put it out there that, hey, text us, email us, phone us. Um, we prefer phone calls, and uh, typically nobody does for the first like 20 minutes, and then suddenly there's this avalanche of phone calls and we start telling people that they have to, you know, be quick and brief. Sure. Which nobody wants to feel as though they've been handled quickly and briefly. Sure. All right. So I'm encouraging our callers once again. Uh, we'll get you on hold at 496-0063 if you have a question. Not specific to Ward 9. Um just about the city itself, and I'm assuming that if you don't happen to uh, be on top of any particular file, you'll just say so. I will just say so, absolutely. All right, so this file, though, I think you might be on top of. Um, I'm curious about the Terwilliger, I don't even know what to call it, uh, expressway. Can you sort of walk me through this? It, it is in your ward, it is in my neighborhood. I don't really understand what Terwilliger was supposed to be and why it isn't that and where you want it to get to. Fair enough. So, uh, a long, long time ago, Terwilliger was, was envisioned as potentially a freeway. Uh, overpasses, ramps. That okay, a freeway to connect what with what? It would Well, in that time, when it was originally envisioned, there wasn't even a, a vision for the Hende. It right. would have been simply that road that's heading you know, southwest out of the city. Okay. You oh, know, okay. So, I mean, you know, as the farther you get out of town, the faster you go, kind of a thing, right? Like we do in a lot of roads. But things have changed. Um, so, in essence, the plan for the Twilliger Expressway is to add two lanes each direction uh, from White Mud to Terwilliger. That's phase one. Okay. okay. To connect to Anthony Henday? Well, it, it would... The the four-laning, as it were, or the, the adding of two lanes each way will go to Henday, but as part of stage one, not across Henday. Okay. okay. That would be a subsequent stage. And okay. so uh, we certainly need that to make the whole thing work. And uh, improvements where Twilliger runs into white mud uh, is, uh, is essentially stage two of this project. So we have funding for stage one. Uh, we have funding for the design of stage two. And the province just topped us up uh, with $25 million towards stage one and uh, the So let's talk about two. that for a second. Now, the yeah. province uh, came up with $90 million, $25 million of which is uh, dedicated to Twilliger. Right. Um, so what is that program under which we got that money? And, well, and what's the rest of the money going towards? Sure, well, and I can uh, share that with you. I think it was called the Alberta uh, Community Transpr- Transit Fund. Uh, okay. It came up at the beginning of December. We had, uh, the city had to apply for or put forward whatever projects they thought might be eligible by the end of December. So it was a very fast turnaround, and we were right in the middle of budget. Uh, in essence, it was a fund that would augment uh, uh, transit uh, components on projects uh, or active transportation components on projects that were already being contemplated, but specifically not LRT and not new LRT. Oh, okay. okay. So, well, specifically not new LRT. So, we put forward, I think, nine projects. Uh, there was the uh, the transit lanes on Twilliger and the active transportation component. So, Twilliger will have... Okay, so it's going to four four lanes, four lanes, and one of them will be a transit lane? That's right, one lane In each, each direction. Right. Okay. And then up on the boulevard will be a, uh, a multi-use trail. 
you know, so up oh. and away from the road, but it'll run down that same corridor. And when it gets to the north end and it hits the white mud, it'll jump over the white mud and run through Brookside and get down into the river valley. So we need that bridge. So that's part of the component as well. So this, this program was to augment projects like this and layer on a transit or an active transportation uh, layer to a, a project that was already there. Okay. okay. So I'm just curious, and I don't want to spend the whole hour on Twilliger, but I am curious sure. about this. Um, so in the time I've lived in Twilliger, and that's a long time, 20-some years, it's always looked like roughed in plumbing. Like, it's always looked like there was supposed to be something there, but it wasn't quite there. Right. Uh, lanes that go nowhere, uh, you know, which I'm assuming would at some point be, I don't know, an overpass, or I don't know what it would be. So how did it come to be that we constructed it that way? And I know this is much prior to your time on council. Right. And then left it for so many years the way it is. Well, this is this lives in the world of of the city not being able to keep up with its infrastructure commitments, and I, I mean, there's lots of layers to that. Uh, you know, there's there's the demands of growth. You know, we've been a boom bust city, so you know, growth explodes, suburbs are added, we can't keep up with the road development, and then the economy crashes. We haven't got the money. It's that cycle that has you know not allowed us to do all of the things that we might do. And Twilliger Drive. Uh, has been a victim of that several times. There were studies done in 01, 2001, 2006, 2012. The road was originally contemplated as a road that would have overpasses, uh, but circumstances have changed. In essence, to build a freeway, if, uh, to, to build it with overpasses would mean that we're just hooking up a very high-speed road onto what is now White Mud. So <laughs> right, okay. now what do you do? I mean, sure, you get to White Mud real fast, but you know, you, you get to 149th Street a second, uh, a minute later, and you're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or you're getting to Calgary Trail or, or uh, 111th Street, uh, you know, headed east. And you're getting on those roads, but you're not getting anywhere faster because those roads are not ever going to get any bigger. So when you back that up a little bit, you say, well, is it worth spending, you know, over a billion dollars over 20 years to turn Twilliger into a freeway? Or is it better to spend $100 million, add vehicle capacity now, add some transit capacity now, add some technology now that will give us throughput and volume on a roadway that is, uh, you know, complementary to and in fitting with the rest of the network. Gotcha. Right? So, and the other thing we need to remember is while we're doing this on the on Twilliger, the province is committed to adding one lane each way on the Henday from Highway 2 around the West End. You're to kidding. The they, they made that commitment uh, uh, last year. That's supposed to start pretty quick. Oh, I thought we were done with the Henday. So, here's the thing. So, all of a sudden, we've got a couple of projects that are going to considerably improve the experience of Southwest Edmonton. So, Let's do those. Let's not overbuild. Let's see what that gives us in terms of capacity without overbuilding and take it from there. All right, good. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, Kevin, we'll take your phone call. I know texts have been coming in. I'll get to those as well. Uh, more with Councillor Tim Cardmell in just a moment. All right, welcome back to the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. We're sitting down with Ward 9 Councillor Tim Cartmel. I called you Cardmel as I was... You, my, my son called you Jim, didn't he, on Twitter? Your son called me Jim, and I told him only my dad calls me Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to apologize for him and for me. Yeah. Uh, Kevin wants to talk to you. She'll have to slip that headset right, on enough. there. Yeah. Tim, uh, oh, let's try that again. Bob always does something to the, uh, to the phone lines. There we go. Hey, uh, Kevin, you are on with Councillor Tim Cartmel. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Good. I just have one question that I've been asked, asking uh, the mayor and uh, Tony Caterina for years now. Why is there no French signs or language in any of the LRT stations, trains, nothing in the LRT buses, nothing at any stops? This is supposed to be a bilingual country by law, I thought. 
But why has the city flagrantly uh, decided not to do this? Uh, well, thank you for the question. I'm not sure I have an answer for you. Uh, as long as I've lived here, which is all my life, the signage has all been in English. I'm not sure that's the, the best answer. Um, uh, we do have several ethnic communities, I think, in Edmonton that might benefit from some, uh, from some multilingual signage. Uh, I'm not sure that if we pick one that we don't end up, uh, you know, having to pick another or uh, inadvertently uh, offending some other group that might see want to see something in their language. So understanding that French is the second official language, uh, I'm not sure I have a, a better answer for you. Well, perhaps you could look into this and uh, find out why it hasn't been done and then take the initiative to do it. I can certainly ask the question for you. Happy to do that. Thank you very much. Thank All right. You. Thank you, uh, Kevin. One of the uh, ongoing themes whenever we talk City of Edmonton is this one from our text line. We get it all the time. Uh, my question for the councillor is, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, when the city's, uh, when is the city going to stop allowing developers to put in the first road and then um, down the road the city puts in more roads? We rip up and repave the same roads over and over again in these new subdivisions. Uh, it's causing needless uh, gridlock, costing us millions of extra m dollars uh, putting the two lanes in later. Is that a true thing? Kind of. So it used to be that the city put in the roads, and then it evolved to the city put in the first two lanes, or uh, the developer put in the first two lanes, the city put in the na next two. Uh, more oh. recently, last 10 years or so, developers responsible for all four lanes of a four-lane arterial plus turn bays. Uh, they build the first two on entry and build the next two uh, when, quote-unquote, volumes warrant. So is that costing the city money or is that costing the developer no, money? it's the developer that has to pay for that. And so the de what happens is, is in, a, in a larger area, take Windermere Heritage Valley, all the developers put money into a pool and then money can be pulled from the pool to build the, the next two lanes. But it's a developer cost responsibility. So uh, what's happening, though, is that, you know, that threshold of when does volume warrant is ambiguous. And so the choice might be made to build two more lanes to the next subdivision as opposed to these two lanes where we need them. It's work, and it's something I'm working on with our developer. Yeah, well, if the developer eventually or inevitably has to pay for it, and if you assume that the neighborhood's going to expand to the point of needing them, why not just require the developer to put them in in the first place? Good question. Uh, and maybe it's, that's a four-lane arterial. Maybe it's uh, you know a, a lane each way with a, with a turn lane down the middle, and it's got some uh, you know some transit capacity on either side. Um, that's that I think is something we should talk about because we do run into this situation in our in our ward in our neck of the woods. It's Ellerslie Road, yeah. where we need those second two lanes. And, and uh, there's some soil issues there, but there's a bit of, uh, you know, who's going to jump in and, and work on that. Here's another element of that, though. One of the major landowners along Ellerslie Road is the provincial government, and they don't participate in this roadway arterial thing. So oh. uh, they don't always tell us when they plan to develop their land or what they plan to do. So uh, it becomes a bit more complex that way. So the answer is simplify it and do it quicker. Maybe put in a date, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, boy, and I know this is just going to come up. I'm looking at the time to see if we have time. Well, we've got tons of callers waiting as well. You know what? I said their questions come first. So sure. uh, let's go to the phone lines. Murray wants to talk to you about uh, garbage bin rollout. Go ahead, Murray. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, thanks. Good. I'm just a little curious how the garbage bin rollout is so complicated for Edmonton, yet I think we're the last North American city to do it. Not sure for the last North American city to do it. I know that our uh, regional neighbors are doing it, St. Albert and Sherwood Park. Uh, we're trying to land on the best model. Uh, what is the best combination of bins? What size of bins is going to serve us best? Uh, we've had 
uh, a fair amount of uh, engagement and feedback from uh, our constituents about uh, picking up yard waste spring and fall. Uh, so we're trying to find the best method that works uh, in our particular situation and what is going to work best for our constituents. Because like I've heard from through the grapevine kind of thing that you guys are going to roll out the bin to the 8,000 homes or whatever it can be test one. And then if they don't fit all their garbage into the test, into the, the bins, they're allowed to bag it and throw it beside it. Well, that's sort of defeating teaching Edmontonians, which again, through the grapevine I've heard, are horrible garbage people, like up to 50, 60 bags of garbage at one house. Well, I think that's anecdotal, and I think you know, there might be one house that does that, but that's not, I, I, I don't think that is the common experience. We're going to try this in 13 neighbourhoods across uh, across the city. Yeah, it's 8,000 homes in 13 neighbourhoods. You're yeah. going to work with them and give them support so that they understand how this new system works. Exactly so. Yeah. 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 But is it that complicated? Like, hey, you get your garbage picked up every other Tuesday, put it in the bin, put it on the street. Like, if not... Well, it's not complicated until you're on the other end of that and you say, well, I would like to do it differently. And so, and that's what we've had, is we've had a lot of feedback from people that talk about whether we should have two bins. Should we have three bins? Should this bin be once a week or, or every two weeks? Should that bin be once a month? Should grass clippings go in? So we're just trying to find the best solution that suits all of that feedback. Okay. Well, i just curious because I've been in other cities where I've lived and they have the same bins, it's almost exact same everything that you guys are talking about, even a little compost pail that you put inside your house. So I was wondering that everybody else should have worked out the problems for you guys. You could have just went and said, hey, we got this, this, and this, what do you guys do? There you go. Murray, appreciate the phone call. Um, before, and Irene, Jay, I know I've got textures as well. I'm probably going to have to push you over into 3.30. I hope you can patiently wait. Uh, but to the point of this last caller, um, there is a feeling among many of our listeners that the city of Edmonton suffers from uh, paralysis by analysis, yeah. you know, and it just feels like Murray was suggesting that sometimes we put too much thought into this, too many studies, too many, uh, we require too much input, and it just, we end up with a beast that we can't control. Well, and, and when we move too fast, you know, then what, so let's take, for instance, uh, playground zones. Right, where Great the last example. council yep. right, said, you know what, uh, we're towards the end of the term, don't engage, don't ask, just do it. Just go put them everywhere that meets a criteria. And so when you, when you disengage the thought process, what do you get? You get a zone, you get a zone that ends, you know, 200 yards down the road, a second zone begins. Uh, you get zones where there's not, uh, you a know. Playground zone in an industrial park. Right, we yeah. out, uh, next to an empty field with right. warehouses. You know, and, and so, and that, by the way, that was not administration's fault. That w- They were following instructions provided by council. But this is what happens when you don't do any engagement. So... There is a sweet spot there of getting feedback and then executing. Do we find the sweet spot every time? No, Uh, (laughs) but it's a learning experience. For sure. Uh, We're going to have another half hour with uh, Councillor Cartmel, not Cardmel, uh, your Ward 9 Councillor. Jay, Irene, as I say, if, uh, if you could be patient, we'll leave you on hold and get to you right away when we come back. All right, welcome back to the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News. I've been thoroughly enjoying my time with uh, Ward 9 Councillor Tim Cartmel, both on and off the air. I know Irene has been very patiently waiting to talk to you, Tim. Go ahead, Irene, you're on with the Councillor. Hi, Tim. You probably recognize me. I'm from West Jasper, Sherwood. I'm just phoning. Um, One of the developers spoke to me um, uh, just recently, and he was telling me the... um, 
uh, the huge extra cost that he's had to incur in demolishing a house. And he told me that there's new regulations um, that came forward in January that any house that's built from 1980 or older, you have to prove that there's absolutely no asbestos in the on the property and he told me that the house that he was going to demolish had vermiculite in it and it only had one percent but because of that because you have to hire first of all you have to hire um, an inspector this is a requirement to check and see if there's anything there and i think that cost about 1500 and for him to have this one percent of vermiculite they have to go through the whole you know suiting up and everything it's going to cost them total extra eight thousand dollars um is this um, a regulation that was put through by the province? I think so. I don't think that's a city regulation. Mm-hmm. The uh, It may be uh, the pre-1980 thing. I, this is the first I've heard of this within the city. Yeah. I do know, though, that the, the environmental... Um, portion of that is is uh, once you get into a, an abatement issue, uh, whether it's asbestos or other hazardous materials, it mm. it, it goes kind of crazy right off the bat. It, it's, uh, it gets expensive. You need consultants to make sure you're doing it right. You need consultants to tell you which materials are missing. Uh, it can be very intense, no question. Well, you know, Tim, I'm concerned in the way that, well, first of all, like, it, there's no leeway, so 1% is so minuscule. But what I'm concerned with now, and I think other communities will be, that we will be getting um, developers coming in and they will demolish the house be- before they get any permit, just to avoid that. So a couple of things. So the the actual environmental standards, the, the 1%, you know, and that means you have to suit up, etc. That is a provincial regulation. That's an environmental regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is, it's rather unusual. So vermiculite is insulation in uh, concrete block walls, which that tells me that this particular house probably had a block wall foundation, not a concrete foundation. Um, it's. I think it will be a fairly rare case indeed that has a lot of hazardous material in it and would require this. Uh, I stand to be corrected, but I don't know that this is going to be something that is a, a common issue for houses being demolished across the city. Well, he claimed that it, it is going to be an issue because you can have, especially when they're looking at such a small percentage um, and the way, you know, houses were built um, before that time period, you know, from uh, up to 1980. Um, sure. So I, I'm just, I was a little concerned when I heard about that because I thought, is this going to now create these situations where people will be demolishing homes where in fact they should be if there is because i know we did have one house that had quite a bit of asbestos but of course it was an older house and i think it still had the gravity furnace where it was wrapped the pipes with the asbestos right sure um but um i'm just concerned that they may try to avoid um going through that and demolishing the house where it can create even more of a hazard if there is a lot of asbestos just so that they don't have to pay the extra cost. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, mm-hmm. If this is going to become an industry concern, though, I'm sure they'll let us know. And we'll mm-hmm. to All right, thanks for the call, Irene. Appreciate it. We've got other callers waiting to talk patiently to you. Uh, Jay, I believe, wants to talk to you. Go ahead, Jay. 
Hey, good afternoon, Councillor. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I just had a question in regards to uh, Bylaw 5590 and uh, something that's a bit discriminatory about it that uh, I've come across in the last couple of years. I uh, have an oil field service uh, company, and for this we uh, use some some bigger trucks that are outfitted uh, for those purposes. Um, Because of that, any of the trucks that we use being commercially registered, of course, we have to uh, register them with the province, and if they're heavier than uh, 4,500 kg, then, of course, they're subject to scales, and we have to put uh, the the information to tear and the gross vehicle weight uh, information on the sides of the vehicles. Now, for that reason, uh, we can't park those vehicles anywhere in the city pursuant to Bylaw 5590, because uh, uh, that bylaw states that any vehicle over 4,500 kg uh, can't be parked in like a residential area on a city street. And to my understanding and the research that I've done, the spirit of that law was originally intended to keep people from parking, you know, semi-bobtails and and, and big back trucks and uh, three-ton vehicles in residential areas, which makes sense. But in this case, we're talking about vehicles like like, like, like 3,500s that have been outfitted for oil field service work. And, and because they're a little bit heavy, let's say 6,000 kg instead of 4,500, we can't park them anywhere in the city where, because they're commercially registered. And we will be ticketed and towed for those reasons. However, you can have Joe Blow down the street, and I've got examples of it directly on mine, uh, guys that uh, have their own, their, their own contracting business, for example. They have big jacked up Ram 5500 uh, welding trucks with huge acetylene tanks and generators and everything on the back of it. And those vehicles are way heavier than the one that I'm running. But because they're not commercially registered and they're personally registered vehicles, they're not subject to this law. Is there something that the city can do about looking at this? Because I'm not sure that this uh, bylaw 5590 has been updated in almost 20 years. Well, it's a, it is a gap for, from that perspective. The uh, part of that is that it, this limits uh, large vehicles being parked on residential and, and collector and local roads. So yeah. those roads, generally speaking, are not built to the same standard than an arterial is. So that's why you don't see bus routes on those roads, for instance. That's why you can't you don't see the bigger school buses uh, parked on these streets because too much of that heavy traffic is going to ruin that road and it's going to ruin it for everybody. Uh, you know, the the commercial registration versus uh, you know what amounts to a personal registration. Mm-hmm. That might be a, a gap in the process, but our goal is to make sure that our streets last as long as possible, and so we try to keep the heavy vehicles off of them. Which makes perfect sense, but it's discriminatory against commercially registered vehicles that have to display the weight of those vehicles pursuant to the Highway Traffic Act, whereas you can have vehicles that are already heavy. You're, you're, you're saying it's to keep these heavy vehicles out of there. These heavy vehicles are already running through. They're just commercially, they're just not Right, Jay, you're saying not to repeal or to try and get a law repealed, but simply have the same law apply to everyone equally. So here's the thing, though. The Either that or simply increase it so that it's, mm. it's, it's, it's more, it's more, uh, it's, it's just more realistic. Something in the area of like Montana does at, uh, at, at 8,500 kg, 16,000 um, uh, pounds, that sort of thing would make more sense. Well, that would depend Cause, on Because these heavy uh, vehicles are running up and down these roads already, whether or not we put these commercial vehicles on too. That, so two things. One, that, that it depends on what standard we're designing our roadways to and what weight limit we should have. The other is the bylaw, the parking bylaw is city, but the registration bylaws uh, and laws are provincial. So, True. you know, changing the certifications around some of those vehicles would be a provincial matter. Well, the bylaw could simply be amended to something instead of 4,500 to a higher weight and then the problem solved. Well, we're talking it might be solved from a car perspective. It might not be solved from a roadway design perspective. That's what I'm saying. We'd have to, we'd have to look into that. I'm just saying that the problem already exists. 
Yeah, fair enough. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, thanks for the call, Jay. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, before we take our next break, uh, this question has been asked by a number of our listeners. What is the status on the calcium chloride debate? And I know at the time that it was in the news, we got a ton of phone calls in here. Uh, and again, it's, uh, I guess, anecdotal for the most part, but lots of people complaining about rust, complaining about uh, damage to their garages. Um, a lot of people, I think an engineer working for the city, in fact, stepped up and said as well that it would cause some damage. Why are we still using this chemical? So it's important to note that the calcium chloride is, I mean, that's a salt, let's call it a, a, a salt solution. Uh, that's 5% of the actual salt that we're dropping on the road. The other 95% of the salt that's coming, uh, that's hitting our streets is being dropped there. Uh, it's being dropped where we used to drop a lot more sand. Now we're dropping about half sand, half salt, depending on the situation. So uh, that damage that people might be seeing to their vehicles or to their garage pad or to their driveway, uh, that's the totality of salt that we're using, not just the brine. Um, the, the brine... Uh, the, the other thing to remember is that we're in the middle of a pilot project and we're trying a number of different tools to uh, see what's going to work. So where the brine is used is to try to stop ice from developing, but it has very particular environmental conditions where it works. Uh, where salt is dropped, that's to melt mm -hmm. snow that's already and ice that's already developed. And uh, where it's too cold to do any of those things, we're into sand and rock chips. So. Uh, as this pilot develops and we get the data that comes out of it, we'll have a better set of uh, information to make decisions on. If it does turn out that uh, individuals uh, through some kind of group action, and I'm not trying to suggest that people do that, uh, are able to prove that uh, as part of the pilot project that this brine did cause damage to their vehicles or to their homes, will there be any compensation from the city? We have not contemplated that at all. I, I would not begin to uh, speculate on what might come out of you know any kind of legal action or anything like that, if that's what you're suggesting. But uh, uh, we are focused right now on understanding what uh, is working with this pilot, uh, what isn't working with this pilot. That goes to salt, that goes to sand, that goes to equipment changes, that goes to uh, extending shifts, that goes to uh, prioritizing different roads. So there's a number of pieces to this puzzle there. We are trying to get, the city is trying to get to bare pavement as quickly as they can. Um, I, I have questions about all of those strategies. We'll be talking about it at the end of this uh, winter season and trying to figure out the best way forward. Sounds good. 3.49, we'll take our last break and uh, then wrap things up with uh, Councillor Cartmel. Well, these uh, conversations with uh, council, members of council, always go too quickly. We're out of, uh, almost out of time, I should say. Uh, we do have Tony who still wants to talk to you. Uh, let me get him on the line. There we go. Go ahead, Tony. You're on with uh, Councillor Tim Cartman. Hi, yes. Uh, how are you doing today? Good. Very good. Uh, there was a reason given just a couple of minutes ago that there's a pilot being done regarding the salting and all that. Why Why do we need to do a pilot? We've been doing the sanding for over how many years that I've been living in the city. Why do we need to go with the salt to begin with? So this came out of an audit that, that uh, was performed by the city auditor a few years ago, and it was examining our use of sand and uh, rock chip generally. There are health concerns around using sand for this uh, for the for our snow and ice strategy, and it comes with when we clean it up in the spring. There's there's health concerns and occupational health and safety concerns. So this led to an examination of what else can we do. Salt is one of the things that other places are doing, but 
We are far, uh, much farther north than uh, most big cities in Canada, obviously. And so to simply take what they're doing and, and not examine it uh, would be a mistake. So this, this two years of effort is to understand, is this going to work? How would it work? Uh, what are the other unintended consequences that we've been talking about? Uh, so that's where we are today. Okay, well, I understand your reasoning, but uh, we, we heard more uh, people complaining about the salt and all that than we ever heard anybody complaining about standing, but that was my uh, that was my opinion. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate the phone call. So many topics that I wanted to get to with you and won't have time now, but let me ask you about this one, because here's another recurring theme on this show. Um, that the city of Edmonton has declared war on cars and that um, their plans for LRT, their plans for ETS in general, um, just seem at uh, their bike lanes. I almost hate that it's almost a swear word here. Um, it feels to many of our listeners that you uh, on council simply don't want us driving anymore. And for a ward like yours, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people to be biking, for example, downtown, or the parking situation at Century is such that it becomes less convenient to take your car to the LRT. Nobody wants to wait outside minus 40 for the bus to go to the... So is there a war on cars in Edmonton? No, I, I, and I understand why people feel that way. Frankly, I feel that way sometimes. You know, I, I, get, I get that narrative. Uh, where I come from is that... Uh, we need to do these things in a more methodical way. We need to we need to make our systems more complementary. And, I, and uh, people have heard me say that. I, I am not anti-transit necessarily. I'm a supporter of transit, and I, I do understand and believe that uh, mass transit is going to be part of our solution as we move to a city of two million people. Uh, we we talked earlier about the two lanes versus four lanes. We talked earlier about you know it taking 40 years to do anything on Twilliger Drive. It is hard to keep up uh, with infrastructure investment, with the pace of a city that grows like Edmonton, hmm. uh, without spending a lot more money, and we know what spending a lot more money means. So, you know, what are some of these solutions? What I uh, so I don't disagree with the solutions in terms of transit or or, or even LRT or frankly, uh, you know, some of the active transportation. What I don't like is how they're done. So. Uh, you know, you've heard me talk about LRT, and and I'm a supporter of LRT. I'm a supporter of transit. I want to build these things, uh, but I want to build them intelligently. The uh, the original Capital Line, for instance, you know, so in at at Century Park, when that line goes south, it will go beside 111th Street, and when it crosses the Henday, it goes through what is now an empty field. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it is literally adding to the solution, whereas some of the other things we've done have added a line in place of something else and that's where I that's what I don't agree with unfortunately we're out of time uh, yeah. so I can only give you a yes or no on this all right uh, should uh, Edmonton transport or transit be free no okay now I'm gonna ask why not <laughs> uh, it's a 340 360 million dollar uh, enterprise we recover about 38 percent there is attention around should that be a, a system that is self-supporting versus is that a social service both both are in part true, so we need to find a middle ground, but it is a middle ground, not one or the other. Got it. Uh, Tim, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Uh, it resulted as uh, it was as a result of you texting me yeah. during the show to say you'll come in or you'll talk to me. I think you were uh, telling me as a member of your award that you would talk to me anytime about playground zones, and I said, well, how about on air for an hour? And you sure. agreed right away. So yeah. thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. It was a good time. My pleasure. It was fun. Thank you. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2.
on 630 Chad.